Hey everyone, welcome into the Gridiron Show. It is Super Bowl weekend in Phoenix, Arizona. We have made it to Friday, at least, Will. We're a few days away from the Chiefs playing the Eagles and the Monday where this place was dead. Seems like a long, long time ago. How I, I, I like that you were saying this like, oh, we've made it through today. We've got to get to Sunday yet, buddy. Like, they're still, they're still, we're only halfway through the week technically right about now. So I, let's not start celebrating early. This is, we're not the Atlanta Falcons. It's not 28-3 right now. We are, you know, we're going to close this thing out, buddy. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm delighted to close out at least the week's coverage with a guy that I've, um, Listened to this podcast for a long time. Had the opportunity to meet him a couple of nights ago in the sure. city center region uh, from the area around the NFL podcast. Dan Hans is Dan. First off, how's the form? How are you doing? Oh, this is great to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, it was nice catching up with you outside the pub uh, the other <laughs> night. And uh, I'm happy to be on the show. This is exciting. I'm, I still, this is our 10th Super Bowl with ATN. Mm. I still get the juice from being here at Radio Row and and the game itself, so I'm pumped. It's like the first sort of year, I guess, when it's technically back to normal with this and the media events. How, how have you found it this week? Because I know you just over there, you got a great, great stage. You've been, you know, flat out. It, it's, it's been a great week so far. Yeah, no, and it's it does feel like to me anyway that we're you know, a couple of years post pandemic, and the Super Bowl week feels like it has more juice this year. I feel like this Radio Row has been more active the last couple of days. Um, and, you know, we've had some great guests on the show, and, you know, I got to ask C.D. Lamb if he believed that Mike McCarthy was a zaddy, and I got a very, <laughs> very uh, strange, quizzical look from one of the best players in football. So whenever I can make things awkward uh, with an NFL superstar, I feel like we're doing our job. I, I, I think working with Greg Rosenthal, who is the king of making things awkward uh, in those situations, yes. probably preps you well for those. Yeah, yeah. It's, what is that? The old uh, Malcolm Gladwell thing, like 10,000 hours or whatever makes you an expert. I'm closing <laughs> in on that. 10,000 hours of hearing Greg say things that make people uncomfortable. So I'm mastering the craft in my own way. <laughs> it's funny because it just seems, Dan, that the season is just flowing in and, and you guys were in London a few months ago, and I know a lot of people that are listening to this are based in the UK. H how was your time out there? Did, did, you know, was it as good as ever? Was it the best time ever? Or? Still great. Every time we go to London, it, it's incredible. And you and I were talking about the idea of going to Ireland, which would be uh, kind of a dream. Uh, but the, those London games, uh, and then we saw what happened in Germany as well. Mm. There's a reason why it keeps getting bigger. It's the reason why the, the, the sport keeps on getting a bigger uh, global audience is that you could see just that passion and you go to the stadium and everybody I still love I wonder if as time progresses I wonder what you guys think about this like mm -hmm. where they'll get to will there get to a point maybe there's not a team that ends up in London uh, full-time but where there becomes kind of a true national team or I think it's always going to be stadium filled with you know 50,000 jerseys and it's representing all 32 teams because I think that's part of the beauty of uh, going to the London game, seeing everybody represent their colors. But do you think there's a team that could ever just really grab the country? I, th I think it's happened in fits and starts. Yeah. Like the Patriots did it with the yeah. kind of second Brady dynasty because it was around the time the, the team was – the game was kind of growing back again and coming back in the big way that it has recently. I think the thing for me is what feels more like – we were talking about this – Three, four years ago, I would have said, yeah, I think they still want to have a team in London. I think that's the direction they're going in or like that's how they want to grow the game. 
with the 17 game schedule now with this whole like ninth home game meaning that you've got more flexibility to send people away like you look at the quality of the teams we've got coming over this year well the Bills Titans Chiefs Patriots and of course the Jaguars who are now playoff worthy like I just think they're going to keep growing that like get to the point where you just play eight home games eight road games and everyone plays a neutral site game somewhere right I'm open and I was chatting to a guy from ESPN down under last week and I think they're going to get a game. Imagine the game on like a Monday afternoon for them. That would be crazy. <laughs> Monday night point. football, but it's, <laughs> but it's 11 a.m. in the morning or on whatever. On a Saturday like, yeah. That's <laughs> a big logistical lift, uh, Australia. <laughs> yeah. But I would, I'm would, i here for it. I would travel for it. East Coast team facing the West Coast <laughs> there team. You go. I, I'm very much in the, I don't want to, like, I, I know Mr. Goodell has said about having you know different divisions and teams. I like the way it is now. I just feel fortunate that there's g there's even one game to be. I, I know we were talking about Germany, and I said, it, and I know well we were both there, and how much of a highlight it was for us. But I think that the season in, in itself has just been there's been something every day, which is always the case in this league. But it's just been it's been a really really great year, and we now have a game on Sunday where you know number one against number one, and I you know would love to hear your thoughts first off on, on Nick Sirianni because I'm just intrigued by the way he's developed. F future future Zaddy, Nick Sirianni. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> <laughs> he's crazy, man, isn't he? Yeah, you know, we had uh, Brian Baldinger on our podcast last week who knows as much about the Eagles as anybody. Like, he, he'll casually drop, like, oh, yeah, I was, I was hanging out at Lane Johnson's house. And I'm like, what is going on with Baldy <laughs> and Lane Johnson just chopping it up? Uh, and I had asked him about, because one of the things that Sirianni has really succeeded at is managing that locker room with a lot of big-name players um, and having the respect of the players, but also being the quote-unquote player's coach. And talked to Baldy about how that could backfire, and you see it all the time. When things don't go sideways, um, that – uh, players will turn on a coach like that. But then Baldy pointed out, you got to look at the rest of that coaching staff. He basically has – he did such a great job building out his staff to cover that. So you have the guys like his offensive line coach who will really – he'll be more of a hard-nosed guy and a, a disciplined type guy. They have all the balance. And that's building out a staff, especially if you're a young first-year coach, is one of the hardest things to do. So you got to give a, a lot of credit to Sirianni for his ability uh, to do that. And – you know, you look at that, every positional group, for the most part, has big-time players in it. I think he certainly benefits from that. The Eagles, you could say, benefited from a soft schedule and some uh, injury luck, obviously, in the NFC title game. But you can't take away from Sirianni, a guy that people laughed at when he had his opening press conference. I'm sure we did it on our podcast, too, and had some fun with it. Nobody's laughing anymore. Did you hear that we spoke to a couple of players about this on opening night, but that he showed that press conference back to the players? Yeah. As a, this was, the, like, this was me three years ago or two years ago, whatever that was now. And this is just proof that look how derided I was. Look how poor, like, look how bad I was, essentially. Right. But if we all practice and work hard and he used it as like a teaching tool about growth and stuff. And it's like, I think it's like a nice little bit of humility for a guy who like. I think that's how you handle that. And that's very smart. And you don't do that unless you're confident that that doesn't backfire and you lose respect for the guy, the guys lose respect for you. Like he obviously felt confident and comfortable enough to, to do that. And uh, I don't know if I could do the same thing. So I credit the man. Do you, have you ever listened back or watched back like old stuff? I know obviously for you guys getting to go back and, and yeah, and watch it is, is, is special, but and, and different because you get to see and hear West, but sure. like actually 
ever watching back, like somebody asked us for tape on our first Super Bowl we did and the packages and stuff, and listening back and hearing my stuff, I'm like, yeah, oh my god, I I remember I got dinner with uh, Dave Damashek this week, who's in town, um, and. I'll never bring forget. Bringing his must-win game energy. Yes, bringing that must-win game <laughs> energy. My favorite bit of Super Bowl week forever. Um, and him, and to his eternal credit, like for Mark and I, he invited us up to the studio when we were part-time copy editors at NFL.com and started having us on the show. And I'll still, I'll never forget the first time in that studio, sitting in there, having never really talked into a microphone in a professional way ever in my life. And um, the lights being so bright. I can still picture the lights in the old uh, closet that was the uh, <laughs> NFL Network podcast studio, if you want to call it that. And, and almost losing my train of thought because I had so many things going through my mind. So if I listen to those early, early shows, especially guesting on check, it's, it's funny because it was just a guy with no experience that knew that that was something I'd grown up listening to talk radio. And it, I didn't even realize it at the time that it really was the path that I needed to take ultimately. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm, t- I'm sure I was terrible. I, I can't imagine listening back to a lot of those ATL Debate Club episodes with Mark and I because uh, it does take reps to get to a serviceable level, and we certainly didn't start there. Uh, talking about your days, you guys talk about that quite a bit, your love of, like, sports radio stuff. Do you ever come down here at the row, like, over the last 10 years and know that there's guys like – I did it this week, basically. Greg Papa is doing the oh, 49er yeah, yep. stuff. There love him. Love Papa. Oh, <laughs> we tore it up on Tuesday night with Greg Papa. Papa was, gets loose. Yeah, yeah, yeah very good, good loose. Hang. <laughs> but, like, yeah, yeah. Do, you, do you get, like, try and search out Mad Dog and those guys and see, like – Oh, yeah. No, we've had Mad Dog on the air, uh, on the air five straight years, and uh, – for Super Bowl week, and sometimes, especially the overseas listeners that don't really have that connection with how important Chris Russo and Mike and the Mad Dog was for East Coast, New York area uh, people growing up in the previous generation. Um, we're very open with our audience, and I did it again on our most recent show. It's like, listen, 98% of the stuff uh, on our show is geared towards the audience and what we think they would like. This is the 2%. Uh, this is we just want to have Chris Russo on because we want to talk to him because we love that guy. I remember uh, his old partner, Mike Francesa, used to be here. I would seek him out. Anybody that, that was on those radio shows, uh, WFAN in New York in the 80s and 90s, I've always sought out and just have a lot of reverence for uh, because it kind of – I didn't realize it at the time, but it was kind of my path and uh, my career in the future was really built on the back of – listening to the radio during the day, but especially at nighttime. I would go to sleep listening to Sports Talk Radio. I, I guess that's how it turned out like this. It's funny because you're talking about your old podcast studio and, and obviously your new one is incredible, based in L.A. What was it like, you know, almost, you know, being home last year with having the Super Bowl there? And I guess, you know, you're very, very, for, for people that aren't aware, Dan, it's literally a stone's throw from the stadium. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite easy on a Sunday at certain points. Yeah, the, the Super Bowl in L.A., and I imagine because of logistically it's such a home run for the NFL, that will continue to happen every five years or so. And, you know, I'd be like people from the U.K., you get to come to Los Angeles in early February. That's nice. Mm-hmm. You can't beat that. Uh, for me, like, if you, especially if you're married with a young family and everything, like, it's not like they put us up in a hotel next to – uh, the stadium, it's like, no, like, you're going to still put your kids to bed, take your kids to school, take them to basketball practice, uh, and do all of this. So I found it kind of difficult uh, to get lock in to and, and really enjoy the Super Bowl experience when yeah. it was in L.A. And much like it's nice. I don't know if you guys have kids, but, like, 
sometimes on, on a wife, it's nice to just get away. I'm just, I'm just saying, <laughs> you needed to go full Sessler and just remove yourself and go and stay in a hotel down the road. And right, just like I, and I, I understand my wife would not permit such a thing. I, I always understood why Mark did it, but the, the safer play is to be able to say, honey, you know I don't want to be in a hotel alone and separated from you and the kids for a week, but I got to bring home the bacon, honey. So that's I got to make money, that's, that's it. That's genius. So I do enjoy that aspect of Super Bowl week as well. Love it. <laughs> love it. Uh, you mentioned Germany, and uh, like as much as we love having you guys over in the UK and the stuff you do with, with Sky and getting you on around the game, came, came down to the pub with us this year and did a, did a bit of time with us as well, which was really good fun. But, that, yeah. you know, the... the Germany hit different. I was really going to ask, so what is, it, what is it about? Because I heard the same thing for everybody that went with the NFL um, on Twitter, like fans of the show. How did it feel different, for instance, from the London games? So, so here's the thing for me, and I speak as someone who, like, before we got the first London games, I kind of followed and loved the sport for maybe 10 years or so before those first London games came in. And for me, that first game, seeing that sport that right. I love, but in my own country, was a huge moment but it was still very novelty. Like, you know, they had the Jason Taylor giant robotic statue <laughs> going through Trafalgar Square. And, like, it was all like, Henry will tell you about that. That's a funny story. Who built that? Uh, I, I think Henry with his bare hands. Yeah, just, probably. Uh, just Braun. Hodgson Braun. <laughs> um, he, uh, the, the difference here is, so Germany, the fan base is just as big as it is in the UK, if not slightly bigger. Like, when we had NFL Europe, five of the six teams ended up playing in Germany by the time that mm. league finished. So there's a big fan base there. And for 15 years, they've had to sit and watch while London gets game after game after game, 33 of them before you got one in Germany. And so it was just this, like, outpouring of these fans who have loved it for years and had to travel over to the UK, getting it finally in their country. We're talking with uh, Sebastian um, uh, Vollmer about this mm. earlier. They did the post game on the field. And of that, of that 70,000 fans in there, 45,000 were still in there an hour after the game had finished, That's singing different. songs and drinking beers and just like... Uh, so I just... I got a little bit emotional on air, like, as we were getting towards yeah. the end of that game. Oh, cool. And it wasn't a great game, but it was just beautiful to see that outpouring of love for a sport that you love as well. And the fans, they made it special. That's what it was. I, th I think cool. what they've done with it as well, I think we talked about this last night or somebody, it was somebody else. This, this makes me mad. But I don't remember much about our conversation from last <laughs> night. <laughs> but yeah. Thank you for clarifying that publicly. <laughs> <then>. um, <laughs> I, I think what they've done so well was they had, had like different pubs for different teams on the, for marketing and teams that weren't even there. And it just it made it more I think, inclusive. Mm. And I'm sure it'll do it in London. But uh, it was just that's the other thing. The, yeah. the build-up week. Like London, it's become part of the sporting culture there. So it sure. happens every year. They turned up in Munich five days early, and they partied for five days before the game got there as well. That did, that helped. Yeah, Obviously, that always. Helped. It definitely helped. It definitely helped. Who's going to win something now? Well, I've, I've taken a contrarian stance on the podcast, so it's too late to turn back. I like the Chiefs. I like Mahomes going off, and I like the idea that we're watching this legendary player in at the peak of his powers. And when historians look back on what made Mahomes great, this is one of the first games that gets brought up. I had an absurd, like, dumb uh, prediction I put on the website on NFL.com that there would be more touchdowns uh, than incompletions for Mahomes. That feels overly ambitious. But also, why not? Why, why couldn't Mahomes have an all-time performance here? I think he's going to be fine with the ankle. I respect that Philadelphia defense. But that's where I'm going. I just got this vibe that, 
Mahomes is going to deliver a performance we all remember forever. Encourage everyone to check out the Around the NFL podcast. And I, I agree with you. I think, I think Kansas City is going to win. Don Hansis, thanks so much, man. But we're the smartest guys in the room, so, <laughs> so I guess that's how it's going to end. Spoiler alert, everybody. <laughs> thanks so much, Don. Chat to you soon, man. All right, man. Thanks. We're back on Radio Row, Road Super Bowl 57 with 888 Sport, made to challenge, made to debate, made to play, and delighted to say that joining us now, a man who knows what it takes to turn up this week, not just to come down to Radio Row and do the media and do all that stuff, but to turn up here and win one of the damn things. Yeah. TJ Ward, Super Bowl 50 winner, is with us. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Yeah, I can't complain. I can't complain. The, uh, the man next to me, though, TJ, you have to know, and he's going to hate that I've done this immediately, is a Broncos fan. So, uh, anything you'd like to say, Michael? I'd like to say, obviously, I was chatting you up there, thanking you for, your, for, for all your efforts a few years ago. I'd, I'd love to actually jump into that to start off with, TJ. You know, whenever you went into that game, a lot of people wrote that Broncos team off, I remember, and, and obviously, we, we all know what happened. We all know what happened defensively. What was your mindset going into that game, especially when a lot of people were on the Panthers and just going into that situation where it's the biggest game of your life? Our mindset was to not pay too much attention to the talk. We knew what the talk was, but just to continue what we had been doing all year, regardless of our opponent, mm. was to come in and play Broncos defense, Broncos um, football, period. And, you know, we know what we were capable of, and we knew what we were going to do to the team going into the game, just that everybody else didn't know yet. <laughs> so. for, for people who, like, yeah, we see this experience, we see this madness going on here, but I, I was there at 50, and, like, it felt special because they put on a lot of the extras around it for the celebration of the 50th anniversary. But for you as players, how did you kind of separate being you know, a work week with all the extras going on around you? It's it's different. As there's no there's no week like it. So there's like unless you've been to a Super Bowl, there's no type of experience you could have going into a week like this. But you know, the first week we stayed at home. The second week, right before we come to the venue, practice a couple of days and get to the game. So right after you know most of the media days were done. Um, it really wasn't hard because we were kind of isolated and it just became really quiet for us and we were able to focus on the task at hand and our coaches did a great job of you know honing us down and keeping us um, you know keeping us grounded in the week but not secluded right we weren't like okay, shut down from everything. You know, you got to try to keep it more normal than anything, and I think that worked well for us. Well, I know it did. We won. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you my memories of, of the the after match that because you'd lost the year before, or you obviously you hadn't because you signed that that season. And you know, John Elway goes out and goes right, great offense, but we need defensive players. He goes out and signs you, Akib Talib. DeMarcus Ware in the same offseason, if I remember that correctly. Like, that's not a bad upgrade on where you were previously considering you were already a Super Bowl team. But my memory is being in that locker room after the game was you guys, every defense guy we talked about, talked about doing it for DeMarcus Ware, like how much it meant to them for him. So talk to us a bit about him as a, a leader, a guy in the locker room, and like how big it was that this future Hall of Famer got that moment with you guys. Oh, that was great. And not only, you know, as D Ware... Uh, a great Hall of Famer or a future Hall of Famer, 
but he's just a great teammate, great guy overall. And when you have those type of guys in your locker room, someone that has already done what he had done in the league and to be as normal and um, friendly, uh, communicative, or communicate, whatever that word is, I messed that up. <laughs> I'm going to scratch that. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought you hey, nailed that, honestly. They're going to be like, what type of English is this? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, him and Peyton, you know, being on towards the end of their careers mm. and, and having that type of leadership in the locker room on both sides of the ball, it's odd that you have those caliber of players on both sides of the ball at the same time. Uh, it would have been amazing to send them out, you know, with that championship like we did, so. It's funny because, like, you, know, you talk, talk about DeMarcus, you talk about that defense, but one guy that held that glue all together was Coach Phillips. Mm-hmm. Now, I know and I've heard from different players, you know, for example, Brandon Marshall's walking around here as well, you know, the respect that, that you guys had for him and continue to have for him. What was it like working with Wade Phillips? For me, coaches. One, and I I love two of my coordinators in my career. Mm. It was Wade Phillips and Ray Horton, my last year in Cleveland. And those two guys are one and one for me. Uh, but the thing with Wade is, and the thing with any great coach or coordinator, what we appreciate as players is letting us be ourselves. You know, letting us be our, our ourselves and using us to the best of our ability. Use us in the manner you know we're intended and our talents are intended to be used. It's the worst thing being in an offense or a defense with a coach that has you in a cookie cutter, you know, or have you playing a defense that he only has you playing this role because it's the only role he knows and how to use his position. So, you know, um, the trust and respect that we have for Wade is only a reflection of the trust and the respect he had for us. It's funny that you say all of that because I, I remember Wade Phillips actually came over to the UK just before he, he joined the Broncos. And actually the Super Bowl was, I'm trying to think, was it the year before or, or two years before? I think it was the year it before. It was the year before. TV, yeah. yeah, he came and did like the sky coverage, but we got kind of 10 minutes with him. And I remember talking to him about aggressive defense, like being aggressive on defense, choosing when to blitz and when to not and stuff. And he essentially was like, if you're not being aggressive, you're not playing defense. So how fun is that for you guys, particularly like when we get those safety blitzes, we get those fun looks, we get those, you know, stunts and everything. Working under a guy like that, like you must be being fun, man. man. I love it. I love it. Um, Regardless if I'm blitzing or covering, I feel the same way. Like you got to have aggressive mentality on defense and that's the only way to play defense. If you're not setting the tone and being the aggressor and letting the offense do that, I doubt you're a successful defense. It's funny because um, I've been saying this to a few people this week, TJ. We have not seen a defensive MVP since Von Miller. And we've seen this Eagles defense, especially this season. Does anyone stand out to you as a potential MVP on on the defensive side of the ball this week? Yeah, definitely. Um, Ridley, for sure. Anybody, one of those front guys can do it. Graham. Graham. Ridley uh, coming up. That's his last name, right? Ridley. Hassan Reddick. Reddick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hassan Reddick. Yeah, yeah. No, no, all good. Hassan. Um, Slay. Slay, mm. as much as, you know, um, Kansas City throws the ball, Slay get out there and locking, locking things down and get his hand on that ball a couple of times. He could definitely win it. So I think if it was going to come on the defense side, it's going to be one of the guys up front or. I saw Slay. 
Is he, notice how he's naming all Eagles, though. Is that the direction you're leaning in for this weekend? Yeah, I'm definitely I'm, <laughs> I'm going with the Eagles. There's nobody on Kansas City's defense that's winning it. Oh, I feel his house on Chris Jones. Like Chris Jones is well, incredible. Yeah, but Chris Jones, he is. No, you know, I, I, you're right. But, but, but I don't <laughs> see him getting to Hurts like mm. he got to uh, – Everybody Burrow, else. Like, that Burrow O-line <laughs> yeah, is, the pressure, is a player yeah. away from being a D2 offensive line. <laughs> the Bengals are bad up front. I'm not going to lie. The Eagles, they have the best offensive line in football and probably top three mobile quarterbacks, you know, in Hurts, Mahomes, uh, Lamar. You know, those are top three elusive quarterbacks in the game. It's something I'd never thought about before I came to my first my first Super Bowl was here and then 50 and like going to the post press conference the following morning obviously when the Patriots won and Brady's MVP you know, that's fine when <laughs> when Von Miller turns up the following morning having had no sleep the night before like that was a, that was actually quite a fun press conference for a guy who could be quite serious so tell us a little bit like is when you win a Super Bowl if you win a Super Bowl. Like, how's the reaction afterwards once you've had to do all the media nonsense with us and you get out there and you get to enjoy yourselves? After the game? Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> uh, like you said, no sleep. After that game, there's no sleep. I, I remember we came straight from wherever we were and grabbed our bags and had to go to the bus. So then you get home. You go out there. You have a party at when you get back to the, the facility or back to the city. That night, then early morning, you got the parade. So it's about two or three days. Big parade. That was a sleep. huge parade. Yeah, we had like a million yeah, or million. people there. It was ridiculous. Um, I was going to ask just about, yes, um, take us back to that AFC championship. You know, yeah. Brady sitting in fourth. I was, ta- I was thinking about this when Brady retired a few weeks ago and just how he got that ball down the field. Fourth and ten. I think it was, was it in the middle of the field, Will, I think it was. Got it down to Gronkowski. Yeah. And then you're thinking, oh, no, here we go. Here well, we go. I was definitely thinking like that because I was on the sideline. I had a re-injury, my high ankle sprain that I had came into the game with coincidentally, not mm. coincidentally because it's the Patriots. They, I heard it in the regular season playing against them. Come back ready for the playoffs. AFC Championship game, hurt the same ankle. Um, it was worse for me because I had no control. Mm. Uh, and I'm watching it, and I'm like, that doesn't happen if I'm in. You know, there's a couple of plays that just don't happen if I'm in. And so I was very nervous, especially when they got the touchdown on fourth down again. And then it was a two-point conversion. I'm like, oh, Time out as well. This, I can't believe this. We were just <laughs> blowing them out. What happened? <laughs> so, um, yes, yeah, so, gratifying so, definitely to get that stop. You nearly found out what Atlanta Falcons players felt like, but not quite. Not <laughs> quite. My brother was on that Atlanta Falcons. Yeah. Yes, yes. He's over there right now. Oh, nice. Have you had a little catch-up, a little reunion? I was at the game. I'm just like, man, they better not come back. But, you know, it's always with Tom. It's like, there's no way they could come back. This game is over. Little did we know. And for you, finally, on that, that Super Bowl 50, you're a Bay Area guy. You've got your foundation now in the Bay Area as well. Like, special to go. And I know the stadium is now down in Santa Clara rather than up in Frisco, but... Still, like, that's got to have been pretty special to be in your hometown. Absolutely. I mean, it's a thing, like, when you're from the Bay, even though you might be from a city, you're still from the Bay Area. There's a lot of, you know, city hopping, traveling, intermingling within 
you know, different cities in the Bay Area. So you may know some a bunch of people from Santa Clara, be from Antioch, Richmond, Oakland, but you know the whole Bay Area. So it was very special just to be able to play in front of my family and friends, right at home, a dream come true, Super Bowl 50, where I'm from, uh, and to win it, it, it was amazing. It was, it's, it's still gives me chills and goosebumps to think about, like, when the confetti fell, you know, walking up, holding the trophy, um, my, the parade parties. It's just a, it's a, it's an experience like none other. It's reaching the pinnacle. It's something you've worked your whole life to do. You've worked, you know, uh, trying to think how long you've been in the league at that point. But sorry, you probably yeah, you're mid, seven. yeah. So six or seven years. Kind of mid late twenties, and you've spent all those years working for it, and then what a and moment! Boom! It's got to be special. Yeah, like. boom. Oh, man. Tell us a bit about the foundation. Oh, Warboy Project is a foundation we started. Well, I started it years back while I was playing, um, but it was called the TJ Ward Foundation. So we changed it to the Warboy Project along with my brother. Now we it's more of a family venture, family nonprofit, where we have everyone involved. We have an um, entire board, and we're really trying to do some major things with this to help our community. And... We're starting in the Bay Area, uh, venturing down to L.A., and, you know, we want to support the entire California. So uh, we have different programs, scholarships, high school scholarships, working towards college scholarships, mentor programs, camps, um, life, life skills symposium. So, you know, just funding and creating these programs for the youth just to make, you know, them better as they grow and, you know, reach the, the, the – places they want to reach love it thank yeah. you so much for your time tj really appreciate yeah, it brilliant stuff and you know have fun this week and uh, and thank you for giving this young man one of the moments of his life yeah a couple <laughs> more days of work <laughs> time to party thanks so much tj appreciate <laughs> it. thank, thank you. you it is the last day of radio row which is sad because it's been a great week obviously well it's been it's been great, great fun and you know what i'm saving the best for last we've had Dan Hansis in this show a guy that uh, and this next guest is a guy that I've had the pleasure of meeting before virtually virtually Michael Lombardi man look do you know what first of all I was saying I was thanking you for your support previously but it's great to meet you in person How's nice it to meet you too Michael yeah I appreciate you having me on I mean you know when you write books uh, it's important to connect with as many people as you can and I appreciate the the uh, to to have in the airways in in ireland so yeah it's important you know you don't know who you're going to reach and it's uh and the book business is not always the easiest business so it's i appreciate you having me well i definitely wouldn't be able to chat to people in the uk and ireland without your support in recent years so thank you very very much man um let's jump in with something that's coming out today and i'd love to hear will's thoughts on this as well maybe after michael cliff kingsbury apparently could be joining the I staff think he is of the, be the offensive coordinator. And, and what do you think? Do you think that's a good move or a bad move? Because the guy was in Thailand. I think it's well. It doesn't matter. He took a vacation. <laughs> he deserves one. You know. Uh, I think if you're D'Amico Ryan's to get a guy who's been a head coach before to let him run the offense as you learn to become a head coach, I think it's a pretty good idea. You know, and and Cliff's under always a lot of scrutiny. I think it was a hard job Arizona here with the quarterback and the offensive line that he had there, but. Cliff's a smart guy. He, he knows uh, Nick Cesario, the general manager there. You know, they're going to have six years. Uh, D'Amico got a six-year contract. I mean, they fired coach two years in a row. They fired a coach. So, you know, it's a little bit like that scene in, uh, you ever see the movie, uh, 
the world according to Garp. When a plane crashes into a house, Garp <laughs> says to his wife, well, at least we know that'll never happen again. <laughs> you know? So you don't think it's going to happen again. So I think it's a good thing. I'm nearly certain this guy, or it might have been somebody else supposed to do, excuse me if I'm wrong, you said that you don't think D'Amico Ryan's like a time, or is that somebody else? I think it was Say again, sorry? Somebody said that they thought D'Amico might not be given enough time in Houston based on what's happened. Well, look, I, I, you, that wasn't me, but I do think that you know, what they've done over the last co- couple of years, you have to be have some kind of reticence going into that job, right? But he's been given the contract. They told, they, they have, apparently during the process, the guys were told, this is a rebuild. We understand that. You're going to be given time. And I, you know, D'Amico Ryan's, you know, I couldn't be a bigger fan of him from his time in San Francisco. He's such a smart guy and we so we do the official 49ers podcast for the UK like with the team uh, as part of their international marketing agreement and every player we've spoken to about him about his boys about the way he is with the players about everything else. so I really believe in D'Amico Ryans with the Cliff Kingsbury's going to be success or not I mean Michael makes a very good makes a very good case for it let's put it that way yeah I mean look you know uh, you hired a guy who'd been a head coach Lovey Smith before didn't turn it around. You hired David Culley, who'd never been a head coach before, but was an older guy. I mean, what you're saying now with this hire is we're going to grow. We're going to allow the coach to grow like the players grow. I know you're a big, big talent to get in when we get the draft season. The Bears are obviously going number one. Yeah. Justin Fields running around here yesterday, very, very happy. He says he's, he's at peace with what happens. What do you think happens with that number, with, with, just with that pick? I think they're kind of trapped. Uh, you know, they have what we call a sunk cost fallacy, which is they've invested in Fields. I think they're not sure who Fields is yet. Can he improve his accuracy? Can he improve his arm? You know, can he improve the passing game? I think that's going to be critical, right? So if he can do that, then, you know, they, they, they're probably going to wait a year. I don't think there's a quarterback in this draft that you say, that's Andrew Luck or that's that's Troy Aikman or, you know, that's Peyton Manning. Yeah, All of them are going to have issues. What issues do you want to take on? You know Fields' issues, right? You already know that. There's no slam dunk in this draft. I mean, Bryce Young's 185, 190 pounds soaking wet. That's a hard thing to do. Right, I mean, it's a hard thing to say he can stay healthy and durable. There's no Justin Herbert in this draft either. We haven't spoken in a while. I'd be, I'd be interested to hear, Michael, which team surprised you the most this season in terms of the jump that they've made? We, I mean, we all know the Giants, but is there a team that you didn't expect? I thought expect? Pittsburgh was remarkable. I thought Mike Tomlin did an incredible job. Where they were at the beginning of the season, you know, quarterback. I mean, lost close games. I thought the team was playing well defensively at the end of the year. You know, I don't think anybody, you know, they got blown out in Buffalo, but yet they bounced back. I thought Mike did a great, great job coaching this year. I think it's one of his best coaching jobs. You know, sometimes your best coaching jobs are when your team isn't very good and you get them to play above their level. Mm. I think he got them to play above their level. I mean, Kevin O'Connell did as well, but, you know, they won so many close games. Dayball did a great job coaching the team. Look, I mean, Kyle Shanahan's on his four-string quarterback and got him to play well. So, I mean, you know, you got that's a remarkable job. Most teams lose a quarterback. They don't, they don't find a way to win a game. What is going to happen with Derek Carr? Where is he going to go? Because I've asked, I've asked a few people this, and I've got a few different answers, so I'll be interested to hear yours. You know, my sense of it is is I think he's going to go somewhere where he has an appetite to do his contract. I think he'll get traded because of the contract and how he restructures it. I think he's the perfect fit for New Orleans because he's got $120 million coming to him. If he restructures the contract, he can give New Orleans a lower cap number for the first couple of years, which they need they need. It's not cash, it's cap. And so he also goes behind a really good offensive line. And a great skill player in Alvin Kamara. So I, I think that's a really smart play. 
That's the Saints. This the, the ability for them to just keep pushing that cap down the line and down the line. Like if, I feel like the Saints have been in quote unquote cap hell for about fifteen years now. Yeah. And well, they they are in cap hell, and the problem is they don't have a quarter. You know, the Rams are in cap hell, but at least one thing the Saints have done in their cap hell is they've had better depth, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas the Rams had no depth. They the Rams said we're going to pay three or four guys, and that's going to be about it. The Saints have – they've got money in their offensive line. They've got money in their defensive line. You know, they put money in receiver. They have spread it around a little bit. Now, that's why they need an economically friendly quarterback. Mm. If we jump to this game at the weekend, obviously Super Bowl Sunday, Chiefs, Eagles. I mean, we're almost – I mean, it's Friday in Radio Room, Mike. I know, I know you've been going around for the last couple of days. What's the key point for this Chiefs team trying to go up against this Eagles defense? I think they got to block them, and they got to they got to be able to weather the storm a little bit in terms of, look – Defensive linemen, when they start the game out, they're they're fresh, they're they're ready to go. By the fourth quarter, we played here in 2014, and in the first quarter of that game, we had a really hard time blocking Seattle's defensive front. By the fourth quarter, we could block them. They weren't the same team, and I think that's got to be that's got to be Kansas City. We got to wear them down a little bit, and we got to get this game to the fourth quarter and let Mahomes win it for us. I've got the Chiefs winning 31 to 28, and I will is going back and forward every day. I also remember, I remember Monday when you were saying you're going to go back and forward. I, th- I think the thing that's interesting, what Mike's saying there, and like I, that was my first Super Bowl that uh, here in 2014, and I mean, still maybe the best game I've ever seen live, just in terms of the back and forth. The depth on that Eagles line is just what I keep coming back to time and time again, and the fact that if you can be as fresh in the fourth quarter as you are in the first quarter yeah. because you're only having to play... 60% of the snaps you might normally play in this kind of size of game, that that just feels to me like where that's going to be a big difference. They have such depth, they can rotate it through. But it's one thing to rotate it. It's another thing guys get tired, it's harder. I just think to me, uh, look, I like Philly in the game, I do, because I think that I think Philly's the more complete team. But Philly's not a team that's going to be able to play from behind. Philly's a really good play-from-in-front team. Mm. They average 18 points in the first half. They only give up nine. So they've had a 10-point lead for most of the game, most of their, all their games. Michael, you're a very, very busy man. Talk to us about what you, I know you have the Daily Coach, numerous books, VSIN, DraftKings. Talk to us about what you do and where people in the UK and Ireland can find you. Well, I, I, I write the, the da- George Coach Raveling. Uh, is a fascinating man, a former basketball coach at the University of Iowa, Washington State, and... USC. He was on the stage when Dr. King gave the I Have a Dream speech. And when Dr. King walked off the stage, he asked Dr. King for a copy of that speech and he gave it to him. And so he's the proud owner of the I Have a Dream speech. We decided one day sitting in a coffee shop in Los Angeles that everybody needs a coach. So we started writing The Daily Coach. The Daily underscore coach is kind of a 500-word inspirational message to anybody who's a leader, a parent, teacher, to, to sign up and join that. And then I do, you know, I love that. That's, that's great. I take great pride in that. I haven't really had any, you know, that's not that's, that's a labor of love, if you will. And then, the, of course, DraftKings and VEASAN I do every day, the Lombardi line, and the GM Shuffle podcast. Those are kind of the, occupy most of my time. And I, and I just finished my last book called Football Done Right, which is about the Hall of Fame. It's about the great coaches of our game and where are all the coaching trees come from. I have to ask you finally then, if you're, you know, Tom Betton and DraftKings and Vison, seven years since the defensive MVP, any selections? You're, 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 you're so on this defensive MVP. I think MVP it's going to happen. I think we're going to see it. I, you know, I've said on my show, I think Hassan Riddick at 30 to 1 is a good play. Because, first of all, Andrew Riley, the right tackle is not a, not a great. The tackles for the Chiefs are not great, even though Orlando Brown was franchise player. That you, you can rush against them. So I think that you can make a case there. Now, that being said, I think Riddick could make, be a strong – if the Eagles slow down Mahomes, 
and win the game, it's going to be because their defensive line dominated. So Riddick's a good play. I am... Um I really like the one that Matt Hamilton gave us, which was a non-quarterback to throw a pass or throw a touchdown, depending on what market you go for. Because they've been teeing up Jarek McKinnon three or four times in the last five, six weeks. The play has never come off because they've audible or they've changed out of it, but it's been set up for him to do it. And he was a former quarterback in high school and a little bit yeah. in college as well. Like, I just, if this, that's one of the weird kind of Andy Reid things. I like that as like yeah, a nice prop. I, I do think in these games you need some kind of play to make a chunk play right we played baltimore in 2014 before mm. this game here in the super bowl and we had a we danny amadola throws a touchdown pass to julian edelman on a trick play we ran that play actually against kansas city and and just like he said we weren't able to we didn't we didn't run it because brendan lafell took the ball and went with it so you know it, it was there on tape but it wasn't on tape so i i do expect some trickery look here's the other thing i think these two special teams are the two worst special teams in football yeah uh, and so I think somebody's going to have to play well in that area. That, that Super Bowl actually here that you were talking about this is one that I've been given an example this week as well because everyone's talking about taking Travis Kelsey away. The Seahawks did a pretty good job on Rob Gronkowski as a rule in that game, but you get one mismatch when he, move, when he moves to the outside and yeah. K.J. Wright goes with him. The whole stadium knows that ball's going to Gronk yeah, in the end zone. We are, everybody did, and, and you know the play that killed us is they came back after that and scored points at the end of the half. That was killer. We scored that touchdown to close out the half, thought we did, and then they, Russell Wilson let him back and, and got points at the end of the half. So that was a killer there, but you're right. I mean, you know, that's the one thing where Kelsey gives you an advantage. When he lines up outside, as the next receiver, you know, and you put your linebacker on him, you know it's man. If you put your corner out there, you know you're in some form of zone. So it's a great indicator. Michael, you're, you're a good man. At M. Lombardi NFL, thank you for the continued support. And enjoy the thank game. Thank you, guys. Sunday. Appreciate it. All the best to you guys. Thank you. The final guest that we have on the Great Iron Show from Radio Road this week. Well, well, first off, we made it to the end. Congrats, guys. Is this, was it ever in doubt? I mean, it was pretty <laughs> dicey yesterday. Justin Fields was running around. You got fake Andy Reid down there. Did get a picture with fake Big, fake big Red and uh, British Big Red together to, together finally. <laughs> At last. <laughs> <laughs> when, when Andy Reid came over with the Chiefs, by the way, uh, to London, I asked the first question in his press conference uh, when they first landed. And the, the first thing he said was, good to see a fellow ginger out here <laughs> representing football. <laughs> so, well, you know what? We're best friends now, Andy. Me well, and you. We are wrapping this up. Obviously, you know, uh, you're, you're on the, the radio, William, on Sunday night in Talksport for the Super Bowl. I am in Just the mere... Just about not doing anything, right? I am in the mere press box. I'll cover up my credential. I, I can't wait to go. It's going to be a great crack on Sunday. And obviously, you can follow along on the Gridiron channels as well, folks. Roger Sherman from The Ringer. Roger. Now, we met in Dublin last year, and it's funny because Northwestern haven't won a game since. Um, yeah. Good to see you again, man. How's it going? It's, uh, it's good to see you. I'm, I'm pushing for Northwestern to play all their games in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> you were at that game. That was a great game. I was at that game, but I was only in the press box for <laughs> 10 minutes because a, a bunch of my Irish buddies who had been to a wedding at the night with the night before were there. And we got a little loose down actually in our seats when it was free pints after the wi-fi went down and so it was a great game from what i remember but it was a long night i, I think that was a strategic though the the stadium systems went down i was just seeing because you're holding your thing over your ears oh, oh, no, 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 up no. a bit or <laughs> i think that was a strategic everything in the stadium went down so like Ameri- I mean. so american <laughs> football would 
<laughs> American fans would, would really enjoy it and, and get the experience because they have many events in that stadium, correct? Mm-hmm. They have international rugby games. They've, they've, got, they've got soccer games as well. But the funniest thing was I was sitting in the press box and I looked to my left. This, there's a good 30 or 40,000 people there. And Roger's going crazy in the crowd. I'm going, how the hell is he right beside me? It was just so random. It was, it, it was a great day. But here, look, great to see you again. We had good fun at that media party on Tuesday. That, that, that oh, yeah. farm was uh, quite a spot, <laughs> wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so Super Bowl week does involve parties. It's a very it, and, and then you have to wake up very early in the morning and interview football players and act like you ha- you, you're just totally operating at 100%. <laughs> but it's you would not change it for the world, Roger. Um Look, we'll get some quick analysis here. What, what's your thoughts on this game? Because we we have went through the ringer with this, and I did not mean to do that. But we have been through the ringer. We went through about 15 different things. I've been blabbering on about the whole injury situation, about the defense for the Eagles, about how the Chiefs can try and maximize um, different other wide receivers instead of if Travis Kelsey is double team. What is your main outlook in this game, Roger? I mean, you're, you're right. It's like... Every, you get to the end, it's, it seems so dumb to say something like this, but like you get to the end of the season and these two teams are just so great. It's not like one of them got here in a fluky, you know, it's it's Patrick Mahomes and the team that's been so great for the last five years, like the, the team that's been most consistent over the last five years and the Eagles who dominated this entire season and, mm. were, and were the best team this season, I think, by far. The I think the Eagles... Just hap- they're just more complete. I think their defense is better than Kansas City's defense. I think their offensive line makes it really, really hard to stop them. And I basically kept going back and forth all week, depending on whether I'd most recently interviewed the Kansas City Chiefs or the, the Philadelphia Eagles, because the thing is, football players are will convince you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They'll make you believe <laughs> that, they're, that they're, you'll talk to someone on the Chiefs and they'll get you hyped up for the Chiefs. But it, it's a great sport of self-belief. Like exactly. It's, it, it's, they, 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 uh, football players believe more than any other sport I've ever worked on or, or with that they deserve to be here, that that's how they're going to get themselves going. And So have you been doing all the press availabilities all week with the, with the players? Mainly then? the Eagles, because I was writing a story about Jordan Bailata. But, like, yeah, it's, they'll get you going, and I'll buy into them. And ultimately, I think I have to pick the Eagles and I, I think it may have to do with the fact that I interviewed them most he recently. He has some also. story. Like, have, have you written the Jordan Mylott piece already? Yeah, that was published on Thursday. I'm, I just always love talking to people who love football that aren't from the United States because, you know, we take it for granted in America. You start watching it when you're a kid. Your high school has a team, etc., etc. And to hear the ways people from other countries arrive at the sport is so fascinating to me. And his story is one of a kind and they're going to try and make that a regular pathway he is such an amazing guy you don't know it's going to be hard for someone else to do exactly what he's done because it's basically impossible and it's, it's so funny talking to so we work with a lot of the guys who have gone through the international player yeah. pathway uh, our our co-commentator on our london games in germany this year christian scotland williamson we played tight end for the for the steelers we had uh fa was here yesterday fa abada uh-huh. is doing our tv uh-huh. coverage this weekend I mean, fa abada literally plays for a division rival and 
he's still rooting for the Eagles this weekend because he wants it for Jordan. Uh-huh. And there's the, the support within that, the, the, like the feeling within that kind of community that they built with those guys is, is incredible. I mean, Jordan was, uh, I, at media night, he was like, I still think of Christian as one of my best friends. Like, um, and the guys, right now they have 13 guys down in Florida who are preparing to do it next year. I spoke to Will Bryce, who's English, um, uh, and helps run that program. He says, yeah, we're going to get together on Sunday. We're going to root for Jordan because it really shows that this like dream of taking a person who is incredibly physically gifted and getting them to learn this incredibly complicated sport can actually pay off and you could get all the way to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and I think it's it's important to mention as well because, Roger, you done an in-depth article on the Germany game. And yeah. I had the... You know the honor of spending five, four or five nights with uh, big, big with Big Red here myself, and you know we've talked a lot to different guests this week about how good that weekend was. It was I, honestly my so <laughs> if I if I was power ranking my best football watching experiences, I've done the last eight Super Bowls. I did a whiteout game at Penn State against Michigan, which was like a four overtime game that will. I went to as a fan, and I will never great forget game, that game. Great game. I remember yeah, that one. Alan Robinson catching yeah, catch the, right at the goal line. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was at that game, but honestly, Munich is up there, and maybe my, it's my favorite of recent years, and maybe my favorite all time. And I say that as someone who like I went to the first London game in 2007 as a kid that had loved the sport for for 10 years, and at that point I was kind of 23 years old, mm. and I it was so special for me, but it was such a novelty in general that the crowd. It's a different type was, of crowd. Yeah. It's a different type of crowd bipartisan. that you ever get A, bipartisan, and B, just, um, I don't know, I, I feel like uh, just culturally you express yourselves, Europeans, Germans, British people, all of these different cultures have different ways of expressing themselves at sporting events. And I, I don't know, it's just, in it, we don't, here in America, we don't necessarily cheer no matter what like the way that they were going just singing songs during the game we don't do that at american sporting events and people here noticed that 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 atmosphere was cool i i, I didn't i actually didn't know i've 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 actually been to oktoberfest but i didn't really realize that country roads i'd heard it at oktoberfest yeah I didn't, I didn't realize that it was such an ingrained thing and when we were on the train back when we finally got out of that stadium like two hours later and it was still absolutely packed because people were staying and drinking and everything else. And they're still singing it on that train home. And I was, I was, having, a, I was having a bleeding lovely time. That's what I was doing. It was a lot, even the, um, I'm, we'll shut up with the Germany here now, but even the Bayern Munich set up in the training and Will walking around. So I'm, re- I'm really sorry. Brock Purdy's over there and Christian McCaffrey's Where? over there and they're just having a chat. And as a 49ers fan, it's all getting very exciting. Well, Will, Will <laughs> so I apologize. I, I, I'm going to give you the ability to get your. No, your no, no. Out. I'm here having a chat. We have had a running thing all week. And people will notice if you listen to this. How long will it take Will to talk about the 49ers? And my <laughs> God, he's done it on the last. It's not podcast. my fault if literally the quarterback <laughs> and the running back are there. That's not my fault. It's incredible, mate. It's incredible. Look, so Chris McCaffrey just ran across over there to go and see Brock Purdy. That was just, you know. Lovely. Um, we're we're going to wrap up the week now, and we're going to get our Super Bowl picks. And Roger, you're more than welcome to come in here now. now. You've been more than welcome to come in here. He's literally the main man. Yeah, but and if he wants to jump on and give his pick as well, will start us off. Who have you got, my friend? I'm going to give you like a prop as well, and you can you can tell us who, who's going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> I have to, do I have to? <laughs> uh, I'm Rob Lowe. I'm just rooting for the game of football. Um, I know. I, I tell you, I I've been on the Eagles all week. I've 
I refuse to kind of every other Super Bowl I've done exactly what Roger was talking about as we go across the week and as people sit opposite us who are whether they're analysts former players Super Bowl winning head coaches and they talk about what their keys to the game are and I flip and I flop and I go all over the place this has been one of the only Super Bowls where I've felt pretty steadfast all week so even though I do think it's going to be a tight game I'm picking the Philadelphia Eagles I'll give Roger the limelight go for it Mitt you don't have to do the hat here we go this is um, I don't know if you, you guys know this. This is how um, oh, people college? announce what college they're going to. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm going to do is, you know, I, 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 I got to act it out. I got to be like. Oh, there we go. <laughs> there we go. It doesn't work with the headset. I forgot about the headset. I don't have head lice or anything. So <laughs> Mr. Fortin, who Well, you I think realistically I'm going to probably have to give the uh, alternative argument. And considering that me and Will drunkenly made a bet last night, I'm going to have to say I'm going with the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm going with Shane Vereen, former Super Bowl, Super Bowl winner for the New England Patriots said that he feels like this script is playing out exactly the same way as it did eight years ago yeah. in Arizona. Everyone's talking about the Seattle the Philadelphia Eagles in the same way everyone's talking about the Seattle Seahawks going into that. They have Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, and Bill Belichick. Who do you have this year? Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Andy Reid. I'm going with the superstars. Hold on. Um, is this? Are there people just listening to this that didn't see the video? That's a very yeah, good yeah, point. Okay, because I, I want to make it clear that I put on, <laughs> I put on the Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> Roger, the, the Never, Michael, yeah, there is an audio version of the show, and I didn't even think about that. The Michael on Monday would have been like, oh, yes, and for the audio viewers. So I apologize to the audio viewers. <laughs> right, you know, so before I give my pick, I'd like to just thank yourself, Will. Yeah, right. Mr. Schools here. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Fortin as well for all the help with the audio video setup. I know, I know Ollie and the team massively appreciate it as well. It's been great fun this week. We're not done yet. By any shape or form, but I want to thank you because I know we're wrapping up Radio Road. I'm, I'll keep it quite short and quite simple. I'm a Broncos fan. We haven't won an Arrowhead in, what, seven years, six years now? Patrick Mahomes at 15 or 20% will win this game. 31-28 Chiefs. Mahomes starts a dynasty potentially. And that's soul-destroying for people watching. But I hope you enjoy the game, enjoy the Super Bowl, and uh, great to chat to you boys. And we'll chat maybe after the game on Sunday. Have we time? Oh, we'll, we'll be doing the traditional, finding a bar, taking the, taking the Zoom, taking the setup, getting some pictures, and recording a bar pod. Bar pod, afterwards. indeed. Roger, thank you very much as well, Thanks my friend. And uh, you're more than welcome to that bar pod as well. But for now, this has been the Great Iron Show. And thanks to everybody here from Radio Row signing off until Vegas next year. Nicky. <laughs> <laughs>